0: Welcome back, everyone, to our latest episode of No Sleep Till Belmont, your Islanders podcast from The Athletic. This is Arthur Stafel, your faithful Islanders correspondent. Uh, Just me flying solo today, talking about Islanders Flyers, uh, an interesting series so far, um, going on a little bit longer, I think, than the Islanders would like. And uh, we'll talk about what's happened in the series what's to come in game 6, pretty crucial one coming up and then if the islanders manage to pull this off and get to the eastern conference final for the first time since 1993 what awaits them in the Tampa Bay Lightning. So we'll just jump right in. Um, you know, it's uh, it's been a similar series to the capital series. I don't think uh, the islanders have quite dominated the same way. It's it's it makes sense because the flyers are, you know, were in the final 8 uh Flyers are probably a little bit more attuned to their game, having uh, won a series than the Caps were. Um, and the Islanders are wearing down a little bit. You can certainly see it when they you know, when they make a few mistakes, uh, as they did in Games 4 and Games 5. Game 4, they were able to overcome. Game 5, they were almost able to overcome, um, losing it in overtime. But uh, But I think you can see the wear and tear of playing the style that they play. And and really once you get to the second round of the playoffs in any year, even in a year when there were five months between the last game and the current one, uh, the current playoffs anyway, um, you're going to wear down. It's, uh, it's just the nature of the game playoffs are a grind. Uh, there's an extra round to win if you're a team in the qualifying round. So that's why you only see, you know, if the Islanders pull this off, they'll be the only qualifying round team to make the final four. Um, unless Vancouver can come back with a, with a miraculous uh, recovery against Vegas. So it's, uh, it's, it's, there's a reason it's hard to do in a, in a normal year and it's still hard to do. And, uh, and certainly the way that the Islanders play makes it even harder where structure and discipline uh, and just kind of the, the repeatability of what they do from line to line and defense pair to defense pair um, takes a lot of, uh, a lot of attention to detail and a lot of precision and, um, you know, it's the reason that a lot of teams, uh, two teams, and almost the Flyers again have kind of wilted in the face of it because it's hard to face against and it's hard to keep that up if the area of the Islanders. So, uh, having said all that, even with some of their breakdowns in this series, to be up three two, and the two losses being both overtime losses that the Flyers led by three and two goals, uh, both two goal leads that were blown in the last ten minutes of the third period, um, I think you still have to like where the Islanders are right now. Um, Certainly Game 5 was, uh, had a lot of uh, up-and-down emotions. Um, you know, they, they got on the board first, uh, had a, you know, a, a bad challenge by Alain Vigneault, the second bad challenge that he's made in the two games the Flyers have won, uh, and the Islanders had a good chance from Jean-Gabriel Pajot on the slot to, on the power play that ensued after Josh Bailey's goal. That was challenged and, and upheld. Actually, sorry, it was Matthew Barzell's goal that was challenged and upheld uh, in Game Five in the second period. Uh, Pajot had a chance to make it two nothing right there, and you know I don't think the Flyers would have disappeared, but they certainly would have uh, been pretty demoralized by having that uh, that those back to back power play goals and then sandwiched around uh, a, a poor challenge by their coach. So, um, you know, so many near misses I think in that game, and then they fall behind and start to play a little loose rally back without Barzal in those in the final five minutes um some really questionable decisions in the defensive zone by the Flyers and we'll kind of get a little bit more into that in a minute um and then trading chances the Flyers hit the post twice in overtime in the first five minutes the Islanders had uh, essentially two breakaways with Devon Taves and then Brock Nelson in alone that Carter Hart stopped and then uh, another kind of mid-air deflection off a off a lost D zone draw um and that was it you know the the flyers uh it's a good team I, you know to my eyes uh, they are probably have some higher end skill than the Islanders, but I think their biggest vulnerability that we've seen so far is their defense um, you know they don't have a lot of mobile guys back there. Uh, they rely a lot on guys like Matt Niskanen, who was really, you know, he was a top-four guy in Washington for a long time, but he's a little bit older, and he was never really an offensive force, and this is a guy they put out on a power plays, and um, it really hurts them that that Elaine Vigneault doesn't have a lot of trust in Shane Gostaspare, who uh, was such a such a revelation when he came on the scene as a rookie and now is, you know, a regular healthy scratch for them. So they go bigger with some of their, their you know, their second and third pair guys, guys like Robert Haig. Justin Braun, Travis Sanheim, Philippe Myers—all good players—and especially those three young guys outside of Braun, who are kind of the future of them. But they are big guys who are not necessarily the most mobile. Uh, and I think when you see the Flyers playing well, uh, it's it's front, comes from offensive zone setups. It's it's stretching the Islanders in the D zone, a lot of east-west movement through the slot, uh, and just the, their D just firing pucks, hoping for those. Waist high tips like you saw from Claude Giroux, like you saw from Scott Lawton on the winner. Uh, they're trying to spread out the Islanders because the Islanders do such a good job of not only clogging the middle, but but tracking players, tying up their sticks. I think all that movement is trying to get them, you know, kind of at, uh, at odd angles uh, to not be able to clog the slot. So, That's what the Flyers and their D are good at. What they're not good at is breaking out of their own end, and I think you've seen it time and again, especially against Brock Nelson's line where if they are in on the forecheck, the third guy high in the zone is usually Josh Bailey, is in great position to pick off an exit pass, whether it's an attempt to flip the puck out of the zone like Myers did uh, in game four that Bailey picked off and, and fed to Brock Nelson to kind of get the Islanders back going in that game. Um Uh, or even just you know trying to move their feet it's not a it's not a a fast defense that can break through a a, a, you know a strict structural style like the islanders uh you know you need guys with good legs and good mobility on on d to to carry the mail there and it just isn't that style that the foot that philly plays so it's been interesting to see how well the islanders have able been able to kind of disrupt whatever the flyers are doing and even when they're not guys that are you know, pinching up too far or get, you know, their forwards getting too deep in the zone. You know, Nelson's goal to kind of get the rally going in game five. Flyers are back in good position. There were four guys around him. And he just snapped a shot that Carter Hart probably should have stopped. Uh, And then Derek Broussard's tying goal was, uh, was a lot of lost battles for those guys down low. I think watching the Islanders play below the hash marks in this series, uh, they're really the much more competent team doing that. The Flyers, um, have a couple guys who can do that, you know, Kevin Hayes is is a big strong guy, but not with a lot of consistency. And um you know, I think the Islanders have a lot to kind of fall back on even though Game 5 was a really like I said emotional, you know, they they rallied to the tie late, lost Matthew Barzal to a scary looking injury, nearly won it a couple times in overtime, Philly nearly won it a couple times in overtime just in the first few minutes and then they did eventually win it uh, later on in overtime. So um there's, uh, there was a lot to digest, um, but uh, if the Islanders have shown anything so far uh, in this postseason, having missed out on their first chance to eliminate both the Panthers and the Caps when they were up 2-0 and 3-0 in those series, that uh, they're able to put a bad game behind them very quickly, and they did it already in this series as well, putting uh, that game two where they rallied to, to tie and then lost it quickly in overtime, turned around and played a very solid game three after that. So... Um, Not a lot of concern, but certainly uh, some things to keep an eye on, and uh, we'll get to those in a minute. Our sponsor today, Manscaped, has you covered to keep the hair looking nice and trimmed and feeling fully supported. Their premium lawnmower 3.0 is waterproof. It includes an LED light and is made with advanced skin-safe technology. You can get this trimmer inside their Perfect Package 3.0, which also includes the Manscaped Crop Preserver deodorant and the Crop Reviver toning spray. Both super practical, and they smell great, too. Plus, for limited time, when you order the perfect package kit, you get two free gifts, the Shed Travel Bag and the Manscaped Anti-Chafing Boxer Briefs. You need to try this out for yourself. You can get 20% off and free shipping with the code THEATHLETIC20 at manscaped.com. So get 20% off and free shipping with the code THEATHLETIC20 at manscaped.com. That's 20% off with free shipping at manscaped.com and use code THEATHLETIC20. All right, we're back, and we'll talk about uh, the upcoming game six for the Islanders. You know, you can't uh, follow the comments too closely on Twitter uh, from the Islander fans who are just venting their frustration about certain plays. But but there are a few things I think you've seen in the last couple of games where they've had longer stretches of not being as as much in command of the puck and, and command of time and space as they were. Um, and Nick Letty is the guy that kind of step you know kind of comes to mind right away, and he made a couple of a couple of not Uh, you know, not very competent, not very Islander-like plays uh, on Philly's third goal in Game 5 and then on the winner. On that third goal that Matt Niskanen scored, he kind of, you know, Letty was in in front of the net where he should be, went to go play a puck, and instead of just flipping it out of the zone or trying to get it off to the side out of danger, uh, he tried a kind of a, a pass where he was just mostly moving his arms and not moving his feet. Uh, it went to Derek Brassard, who also was kind of off balance a little bit, and he just tried to shove it out of the zone, and Philly picked it off, easily turned back around, and Niskanen scored, admittedly, on a slap shot that Semyon Varlamov should have. It was a good shot, but still should have been a stoppable shot. So that was won by Letty. <clears throat> and then the, most, the more egregious one was in overtime. The Flyers had a good chance. They were uh, kind of converging on the net. Josh Bailey worked a puck away and didn't see an outlet along the wall, so he sent it back to the middle of the ice, which is usually one that makes you catch your breath a little bit in the D zone. Um, but it still looked like a very patient play. And if Letty had just turned and skated, he had tons of room. And instead, he tried to make a long pass uh, for the for either Anthony Beauvillier or Brock Nelson. I can't remember who was flying the zone. Uh, went past them for an icing. Uh, Claude drew beat Nelson on the draw. Flyers work the puck around, boom! Game game winners in the net. You know, Nick Letty. We were talking about mobile defensemen. That's that's his mo. That's that's the reason he's in the NHL is his is his skating ability. He's certainly got good offensive instincts, and he's become a much better defensive defenseman in the last couple of years. But you have to be able to use your feet. You know, Devon Taves does that so well for the Islanders, and and it's so. It's so subtle too, you know. If Devon Taves gets the puck from a standing position in front of his own net, he's moving his feet to get it out of danger first before he does anything. Uh, even the bigger guys in the Islanders—that's the—that's the first instruction for them to is not don't flip it high in the air, don't stand still, use your feet, get it moving, because you can also catch your opponent's forwards in deep, and then suddenly you've got an on-aid rush. So to see Letty, who is a veteran guy and knows better, um, to just kind of stand still and fire a puck and make a hope play goes against what Barry Trotz teaches them. And uh, the fact that it so directly led to the winning goal, obviously a lot of frustration. So, you know, it, it, I did some speculating in a story that posted uh, earlier today on Wednesday that uh, would Barry Trotz make such a drastic change? Now, I'm going to preface it by saying no, I don't think he will. Uh, even if Nick, Unless Nick Letty is, is too banged up to go, I don't think there's going to be any changes because he's not taking Andy Green out of the lineup. Andy Green is doing exactly what – Barry Trotz and the Islanders need him to do, which is make a lot of simple plays. You know, the the penalty kill in overtime, he made about three really good little plays, just aggressive on his toes, exactly the kind of things you need from a guy like Andy Green and, um, you know, to kill 30 seconds of a pretty ineffective power play for the for the Flyers. Um, so he's not taking Andy Green out. Do I think it would be he would take Letty out for Johnny Boychuk? Probably not. I think Letty still, you know, he plays on that, on the, Matthew Barzell unit on the power play. Um, I think there's still too much trade-off, um, you know, swapping in Boychuck for Letty. Just remember, Barry Trotz's roles are very important to him. Um, if you have a, take a guy out, you want to be able to put somebody back in who does almost exactly what that guy does, so you're not altering the the chemistry or the the combinations that you've already set down. So I don't see a Boychuck for Letty type of situation. The one that I could see in a in a universe where the Islanders feel like they need a real jolt is putting in Noah Dobson for Nick Letty. Because in the future, maybe the very immediate future after the season is over, that's the swap that's probably going to happen. Noah Dobson is, is going to be a regular in the top six on D before too long. And I happen to think just by logic and Salary cap situation and age and all that other stuff that Dobson is going to take Letty's role in the top six. Whether it's Andy Green, I don't think it's going to be Johnny Boychuk to make uh, Dobson play on his offside yet again as he had to do during a lot of his rookie season. Um, maybe even a Scott Mayfield, you start to look at moving. But but Dobson is is going to come in on the right side, either second pair or most likely third pair. And he and Andy Green were a real revelation to Barry Trotz during the, the phase three camp when they had a lot of scrimmages. They played together for the most part in the exhibition game against the Rangers and looked great. Um, so it makes you start to think down the road. If Andy Green wants to come back for another year for whatever sort of season we're going to see in, in 2021, that a third pair of green and, and Dobson is, is pretty ideal. Um, and that would be the third pair if you took out Nick Letty and put Dobson in for game six. I don't think it's going to happen, but it's one of those things that makes you think, um, if the Islanders were really, uh, really in need of something of a shake up and wanted some very fresh legs back there that, that, uh, that would be an interesting way to go. Um, other areas of concern, you know, uh, they looked a little slow and run down in game five, but they look that way when they're behind and they're not playing well. It's, it's a system that even when things are, are running smoothly, the Islanders are not blasting away 15 shots at a time the way Colorado does. Uh, they're not crashing the net um, with such force and jamming away like Dallas does. Uh, they just don't have that kind of system. They're, they're methodical. They're going to wear you down they're going to be advantageous and and opportunistic on whether it's the counterattack off the rush um you know the the Islanders goals uh you, you saw it i think a lot in game 3 and game 4 sometimes their shots don't even get to the back of the net or or make the make the netting uh you know ripple at all it's uh it's amazing to see you know Jean Gabriel Pajos big goal in game 4 to break a 1-1 tie a, a breakaway that just kind of you know trickled through Brian Elliott's pads and somehow got across the line by, you know, half a foot. That's the way the Islanders play. It's the perfect encapsulation of, of their style. So, um, you know, it, it, it's not super dynamic. And when it's, when they're off, uh, they look kind of ugly. So, uh, I don't know if I would chalk that up to anything other than, you know, the system not working very well or the flyers doing some good things to keep them at bay. um, you know, as I mentioned, the, kind of the high tip, not just high tip uh, in the zone where the player deflects the puck, but actually up in the air, which is an incredible skill. And uh, we'll get to it more because you've seen the Lightning do that a lot already in these postseason against Columbus and Boston. And if the Islanders do advance, that's going to be a, a, an area of concern for them. But uh, in these last two games, I think there's been three goals by the Flyers on those high tips. Sean Couturier had one um in game four and then two of them in game five Claude Giroux and then Scott Lawton on the winner and that's really a a, you know a problem of positioning and you know if you're defending that guy and it it happened to be Brock Nelson's man both times in game five he kind of left Giroux alone because the Flyers were just whipping the pucks around you know almost looking like they weren't even trying to hit it hit the net they were just throwing them in the middle to get the Islanders pasted along the wall and get some more room for some of their guys um you know Nelson was in front of Giroux, which is not where you can be when you're trying to defend there. And then on the winner, it just didn't tie up a stick. You have to know that this is a team that's that's what they're trying to do. They're they're not trying to not trying to shoot to score from the point unless it bounces off somebody. Um, they're trying to, they're shooting for deflections. They're shooting for rebounds. Um, so you have to be aware of your man and and you know facing the shooter, but also in the back of your, you know, eyes in the back of your head and better, or better still having good body position on your, on your guy to have a stick tied up, whether with your stick, whether with your body, just to prevent him from, from making those deflections. So, um, those are things that can be cleaned up. I think in the defensive zone and, and talking with over zoom with Devon Taves and Scott Mayfield, among others today, they kind of said like, yeah, we'll have a plan for that and we'll adjust and they'll adjust. And it's a little cat and mouse game, but I think the Islanders breaking up some plays closer to the line, to Maybe being a little more aggressive than they're normally being uh, to block the shots out at the point. Uh, like I said, I don't think Phillies D are very mobile, so I think you can afford to be a little more aggressive. And then having that that center, usually the center uh, floating lower with the forward trying to look for a tip and the D trying to tie up guys looking for tips, just just stronger on pucks, just stronger when they when they're shooting. Um. But again, having said all that, they were they were a couple breakaways away from from pulling it off in Game Five, and they ended up winning Game Four. So there's not a ton to correct for the Islanders, I think, going into Game Six, other than you know play a little bit more consistently. You're going to have to withstand uh, a start where the Flyers come out with a lot of energy. You know, their desperation is going to show early on, and the Islanders did weather that very well in a scoreless first period in Game Five. Um, So I think you're going to see that again in Game 6. If the Islanders get out of the first period tied, nothing, nothing, I'm sure they'll be perfectly happy with that. And then it's about getting on the board and and continuing to wear them down and frustrate them. Um, You know, Barry Trotz didn't give an update on Matthew Barzal from his his accidental high stick that was right around his right eye that cost him the end of Game 5. But uh, there's some indications out there the fourth period Tweeted and, and I heard from a source uh, that's not on the bubble that uh, seems like Barzell's okay and will be ready to play Game Six. On the other hand, on the other side, Sean Couturier left Game Five also with what looked like a knee injury. Elaine Vigneault had no update on that. Um, and the Flyers, you know, the Islanders need Matthew Barzell, but I think the Flyers need Sean Couturier more. Um, you know, they don't have a big reserve of of depth at center and. And there's a big drop-off for them between their top six and their bottom six. They managed to get through, and Lawton moved up to that top line to, to score the eventual win, to score the winner in overtime. But uh, I think you saw the effects of that because the Islanders kept coming and kept coming. They didn't have Couturier, as a, who's a good faceoff guy. He's a selkie finalist. He's a guy who's incredibly detail-oriented in his own end, um, very strong on bodies and pucks. So, uh, you know, the Islanders... Can win. A, I think the Islanders can win a game six without Matthew Barzal. I'm not sure the Flyers can win a game six and then a game seven without Sean Couturier. Um, you know, long term, you don't want to miss Matthew Barzal. But uh, but the Islanders are looking to to do some things. I think that uh, that are different than what the Flyers are trying to do in in rallying from three one down. And and I think the Flyers need their high end centers more than the Islanders need. And Matthew Barzal to kind of open things up. With football right around the corner, there's no better place to get in on all of the action than with DraftKings Sportsbook, America's top-rated sportsbook app. To celebrate the return of football, DraftKings is giving all users a no-brainer to start the season. Listen up, because you don't want to miss this. Have you ever heard of a football team losing by 100 points? Well, for week one, DraftKings is ensuring that even if Kansas City were to lose in historic fashion, you would still cash your bet. That's right, DraftKings Sportsbook has moved the spread to Kansas City plus 101 for all users. So even if Kansas City loses by 100 points, you still win big with DraftKings Sportsbook. That's a no-brainer. On top of that amazing offer, DraftKings is giving way up to $100 million in prizes to all users who enter their free football survivor pool. All you have to do is sign up for DraftKings Sportsbook, enter their survivor pool, and you'll instantly get a share of up to $100 million in giveaways. So download the top-rated DraftKings Sportsbook app now. And use the promo code QUICK to take advantage of this no-brainer of an offer. That's promo code QUICK to get in on all of the action. For a limited time only at DraftKings Sportsbook. Must be 21 or older, New Jersey only. Other terms and conditions and restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com Sportsbook for details. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. All right, so now, you know, let's take the optimistic view. Um, let's say the Islanders do close this out, whether it's in Game 6 or Game 7, even though they'll be... Plenty of nerves going if they have to go to a Game 7. Um, what waits for them in the Eastern Conference Final? Well, now that I think this is going to a sixth game uh, on Thursday, it certainly seems like, from what the national reporters are saying, there there was talk if the Islanders wrapped it up in Game 5 that the Islanders and Lightning would start their Eastern Conference Final in the Toronto bubble first because the Western Conference isn't done yet uh, and they don't want to bring in more teams than they're, you know, they want two teams out before they bring two more teams in to kind of keep the security of the bubble in Edmonton. So that would have been a strange situation where they played a game or two games of the Eastern Conference Final in Toronto, and then both teams would fly to Edmonton to finish the series. Now I think it's probably better for everybody. Islanders play game six, hopefully not a game seven for their purposes, and then Islanders, Tampa, head to Edmonton, um, get settled in the, you know, resettle in a new bubble there, and both conference finals take place in Edmonton in the, in, in their entirety. Um, and what awaits them with the Lightning? Well, you know, I, they've been uh, a top team in the league for a long time. You know, the Islanders haven't seen them in the playoffs since, since 2016 in a series that was only five games, but I think, uh, you know, and obviously a very different cast of characters, certainly for the Islanders. But uh, every Islander fan can tell you about the games in Brooklyn in that series. The Islanders, I think, caught... The Lightning uh, and Ben Bishop, who was the goalie then off guard in that game one and one down in Tampa, two goals by Shane Prince, um, who's a name, a blast from the Islanders past. Uh, two goals from Shane Prince gave them a the win in game one. Tampa dominated game two. It was a win from start to finish for them. And then back to Brooklyn, where in both games three and games four, the Islanders had to lead midway through the third period. Game three was late in the third period, and Nikita Kucherov who still figures quite prominently in the in the Lightning's uh, success. Uh, tied the game, I believe, both nights. And then quick winners in overtime, Brian Boyle in Game 3 after a controversial hit on Thomas Hickey, and we had Brian on the show here before uh, before the bubble began. He's now with the Florida Panthers, and uh, he had some good recollections about that, that series and that hit. Had a couple beers thrown on him, which should be par for the course when you're at an Islander game as a visitor. Um, and then Game 4, Jason Garrison with a point shot. Uh, very quickly into overtime and it was a series that could have been 3-1 Islanders but it was 3-1 Tampa and they closed it out pretty pretty strongly in game five so things are a lot different now different coach different key players different general manager Um, but the Islanders will still go into the series I think as similar underdogs even though it's the conference final and even though if the Islanders say win in six Uh, The Islanders will have four losses in three rounds so far in their postseason. Tampa will have two losses in two rounds in their postseason and and pretty similar uh, results. But, um, you know, I think Tampa has that pedigree. John Cooper has been there a long time as the coach. They've gone to Andre Vasilevsky, who's a Vezina finalist. He's been very good in, in the bubble so far. Kucherov got hurt in the clinching game against Boston. Uh, there's really been no update since the Lightning haven't done much since then. But you have to assume that he'll be ready to go again. Uh, Steven Stamkos has been hinted at by uh, Lightning GM Julian Bresbow. Told our Joe Smith that uh, that Stamkos could return uh, during this postseason. He hasn't played yet, but they haven't really needed him. This is a team that um, has managed to kind of reload their 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 young guys uh, up front. You've got guys like Braden Point and Yanni Gord uh, who have supplemented some of their longer-term guys, guys like Andre Pallott and Tyler Johnson. And Pallott, I thought, was one of maybe their best player and most certainly most productive player in the series against the Bruins. Um, so they don't miss a beat. And then on the back end, you've got a guy like Victor Hedman who can be out there for 30 minutes a night. You've got Ryan McDonough who's got a history with the Rangers of playing 30 minutes a night. And that, I think, is the difference that the Islanders will have to overcome against Tampa is – uh, you know, I think a lot of their second pair, third pair, defensemen are 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 gettable. You know, they're they're beatable. They're they're guys like Zach Bogosian, guys like Luke Shen, even a guy like Mikhail Sergachev. Um, I think the Islanders' forecheck can disrupt those guys, but you don't get a lot of chances without Hedman on the ice, and Hedman is as dominant a defenseman as any in the league, and, and gets up and down the ice, um, you know, in the D zone, he he's the guy you kind of aspire to be, um, closes out well, skates well, the Islanders are going to have to have a real plan for him, and uh, he was forced to score the overtime winner to clinch the series for the Lightning, so, uh, um, you know, I think that's, the Islanders have faced some good defensemen so far in these three rounds, but, uh, you know, I think John Carlson was was pretty compromised health wise, so he wasn't up to snuff, and they really took advantage of him. And like I said, I don't think Philly has a real stout number one guy, and I think you know it's not the most mobile group. So that that's really been where the Islanders have had their greatest strength is is taking advantage of Philly's D. I don't know if you're going to get to do that against Tampa just because of headman. Um, I think some of those other veterans, like I said, the Bagosians, the Shens of the world, who've been around the league a long time not the most mobile, not the most skilled, certainly very physical, but, uh, the Islanders can handle physical. It's, uh, it's more the mobile guys that can break through, uh, the, the four check structure with their feet, uh, and, and not necessarily having to flip the puck out or slam it off the wall or, or kind of just grind it out of the zone. But, you know, it, it's hard to, it's hard to bet against the Islanders right now. Um, we were saying this knowing full well that this is going to air before they even advance to the conference final. But if they get there, um, you know, this is this is some kind of run they're on. And, uh, you know, to, to be at essentially full health, you know, there's certainly guys that are banged up. But uh, but to have everybody available has really been a huge key for them. And to keep having everybody available and have guys chomping at the bit to get in, um, you know, especially a guy like Boychuk who's been such a warrior for them for so many years. Really uh, underscores how how team oriented these guys are, and how you know they're just not relying on one or two guys to uh, to carry them through. Um, you know, I think Barzal's line has had a, has had a tougher series against Philly than they did against Washington. Um, you know, I think uh, m- whether he's been matched against the Nate Thompson's line or, or matched against Couturier's line, he's you know they've struggled at times. Nelson's line has been really effective. They had a couple of you know weak moments I think like we were saying about the tipped goals that went in in game 5, but otherwise they've been really strong. And uh you know and Tampa's forwards are are fast and tough and uh you know whether it's it's Braden Point, Vokutrov or uh or you know Palat's line um they've got a good group and uh you know and then they kind of hit you with uh with third and fourth line guys like Alex who has been around a long time. Cedric Paquette who's you know kind of their Matt Martin Cal Clutterbuck type um you know I think the forwards match up pretty well but it's going to be a different sort of challenge to the Islanders defense that you know this is this is a Tampa team that's not going to going to wow you with skill they certainly can and certainly on the power play and the Islanders penalty kill has had a nice series against Philly but Philly's power play seems lost in space right now um they're going to penalty kill is going to have to be really strong and uh you know, the the trade, much like the Islanders' trade deadline acquisitions of Green and, and Pajot have helped them immensely. Uh, guys like Barkley Goodrow, who they gave up a first-round pick for in Tampa, um, to the Sharks, and Blake Coleman, who was a big pickup from the Devils. Those guys uh, have been really effective on a line together, uh, you know, scored a few key goals against the Bruins, and that gives them the sort of the sort of edge physically that they haven't had in a lot of years Um especially you know they're going to just be wanting to throw pucks behind the islanders defense and start you know grinding away and throwing big hits uh it's it's pretty similar to what the islanders lines like to do uh certainly their third and fourth lines so um it's uh it's a good matchup i think for tampa um i think as far as the islanders are concerned they're 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 much more focused on what they do they're obviously going to have to account for guys like Hedman, like i said and guys like kucherov especially on the power play but uh but it, it could it has the potential to be a long, interesting series. You know, I think um, we're seeing a bunch of game sixes now where we, did, we saw you know, teams that were up 3-0 or 3-1 close it out in the previous round because guys have been there a long time. You don't want to feel like these couple of months uh, returning to play, returning to phase three back uh, on Long Island for the Islanders and being up there for a full month in Toronto, you don't want to feel like it's for nothing. And uh, to bow out in the quarterfinals means it's for nothing. Um, you know, conference final I think means something different, especially to a team that hasn't been there in almost three decades. But um, it's going to be, uh, you know, if they can get there, I think it's going to be a dogfight. I'm really interested to see how uh, you know how the Islanders can impose their will on a series for a fourth straight time against the team with with high end stars. It's uh, it's it's you know it's kind of like going through the top. Few seeds uh, in March Madness in the NCAA tournament. It's you know you, if you're the if you're an eight seed or a seven seed, only after the first round are you going to not you, you're going to start seeing really good teams. And it's been the same for the Islanders. Maybe that first round was uh, was one they they could coast through a little bit and, and really they got to their game well. But Florida didn't get, didn't put up much of a fight, and I think Washington put up less of a fight I think than most people would have thought. Philly's tenacious uh, if they get through that it's uh it only gets harder so i for one am, am fascinated to see how far this team can go and um, you know i'm sure that the focus will be on the lightning and not the islanders i've seen plenty of fans and heard from plenty of fans about the pro philly nbc telecast because they do have two former flyers as their two analysts brian boucher and keith jones and i'm not, you know brian boucher has seen a lot of the islanders over the years i don't i don't think he's uh particularly biased Keith Jones does Philly telecast during the season. So he knows a lot more about the flyers than he does about the Islanders. Um, just human nature. I don't know. I don't know what else to say about that, but, um, but yeah, it's, uh, it's just the nature of the beast when you're the Islanders. Um, it's an, it's a fairly anonymous team. It's a, it's a team that, uh, doesn't have a lot of flashy stars that, you know, Lou Lamarillo doesn't like a lot of personality to be shown. Uh, he doesn't like a lot of soft focus features to distract from from the task at hand. So this is, you're going to get more information about the other team. It's just the way it is. Uh, but it will still be fun. So we'll get after it. Uh, the Islanders will uh, in Game 6. And uh, hopefully not for your sakes a Game 7. But if they do and manage to advance, we'll be back again next week with... Uh, Possibly a guest, possibly just some more analysis of uh, an Eastern Conference final that should be exciting. So thanks, everybody, for listening. This is No Sleep Till Belmont your on podcast from The Athletic. We'll catch you again next week.